This is Mind Body Wealth. I'm Lauren Simmons. And as always, I have a question for you. I want to ask you what sort of energy you are bringing into the workplace, into your partnerships, into your family. Are you even conscious of your own vibe? You should be. The way you present in your space can make all the difference in your experience, your money, your happiness, your perception, but it has to be authentic. It's normal to be a different person in different situations, but each of those aspects of yourself has to be authentic. If it's not, it's gonna hurt your mental health and your relationships. So an example I have, I am a type of person in my personal life with my friends, family, mom, dog. I'm really goofy, I'm really silly. Most people would not know that of me. However, when I am in a boardroom and I'm in meetings, I can't have that version of me come out as much. I'm still very personable. I'm still very charismatic. But in order to be taken serious, especially in male-dominated settings or any setting in corporate America, I can't be that goofy, lighthearted person as much as I would like to be. Just because the version of you at work is different than the version of you with your friends, it doesn't mean that either is unauthentic. Keep the versions of yourself that are real and ditch the versions that feel like an obligation. I also want you to embrace every version of yourself. Identify your strengths in different situations and focus on them. The way you are around your friends has value, even in business settings. Don't just discard a part of yourself because you might think it isn't business-like. And that's one of the things we'll be covering today with our amazing guest, Jared Switsky. We'll talk about code switching and what it means and when to use it. And we'll talk about changing the culture of the place you're in. And that change starts with you. We're also gonna get into the journey of finding your voice and how your authenticity is your workplace secret weapon. We've been taught that we need to sacrifice authenticity for strength in order to succeed. And that simply isn't true. So without further ado, let me introduce Jared Schwitzky, an operator investor who spent more than a decade in Silicon Valley. With the early days of his career at Apple and Google, he's an ambitious and dynamic financial entrepreneur, and we're going to continue our discussion on authenticity and identity in the workplace. Hey, Jared. Hello, hello. I'm so excited for you to join the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited. Okay, let's dive right in. Jared, you've worked in finance since the beginning of your career. What's a misconception people have about individuals who work in finance? <laughs> All right, so I, I've got two ways I can go on this. The first thing that popped in my mind was that everyone working in finance is this intelligent, smart human being. Oh my God, yeah. Or that they're good at finance. Yeah, yeah. It's also not true. <laughs> Yeah. Now that I've been in this industry for a few years now, I've I've really started to realize that not everyone is as smart as I thought they were back in the day. I mean, you, you know, you sit down with someone for the first time and, and you hear them say, you know, I'm an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. You're likely going to think that they're intelligent and that they understand finance and that they're this, you know, numbers guru <laughs> in reality. 
there are a lot of people who got there because, you know, their dad sent an email to the right person or their Nepotism. their mom knows, you know, the managing director of this practice. And right. I think that's probably the biggest misconception. And, and to be clear, there are a tremendous number of intelligent, beautiful human beings that work in finance. And I'll, I'll point at myself as living proof. I mean, I work in finance and I'm not a genius, you know, by any means. And so I think that just by nature of working on Wall Street or just by nature of being a venture capitalist or just by nature of, you know, being a successful investor, you, this, this does not make someone as intelligent as many people think. I think, you know what it is? I think a lot of men uh, who do work in finance, these are typically like your alpha men and they're very charismatic and they will sell you. They will sell you and you will believe any and everything. And yeah, not to say there are definitely some highly intelligent people, but that's with any job. But I've definitely have been in the room with men who have completely, like someone will ask a question and they will completely bullshit their <laughs> response. And I'm like, what just happened? But the person on the other end of it is like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I'm like, what, take that back? What What did you say? What, what, what was that? And so that caught me off guard. And then the other thing was people that work in finance not being good at finance. <laughs> like, I was shocked. I just assumed that these people are working with so much money. They're probably the top tier financial experts out there. And, and that's just not the case. Again, there definitely are people who are, but I think I have definitely witnessed many people who aren't. And a lot of them didn't even study finance in school. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they completely had to pivot, which kind of brings me to the next topic. Okay, so we've talked before, you and I, what it's like to be a person who passes as white, but you are actually identify yourself as half Cuban. Yes. Has that influenced your experience working in the financial sector? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's affected it in such a way that I'm very privy to the benefits that certain people can get. So, you know, if you if you see me, if anyone walks by me on the street, I am often viewed, I am often seen, I am often considered a white guy. But my mother, who's an immigrant, she came to this country escaping, you know, communist rule under Castro back in the 60s. She did not speak English. I think growing up with that side of my family, as immigrants, and, and you look at our family photos, and there's going to be a bunch of brown Mexicans and Cuban people, and then there's going to be me standing there. I've actually shown family photos to people before, and they're like, who, who, who are you hanging out with here? Who, who are these people? And so I think that the way that it's impacted me, especially with respect to finance, is being very aware of the challenges that you know, certain minorities face. And I've come under fire in the past even sometimes for being very vocal about, you know, supporting immigrants and supporting Hispanic founders and, and female founders and things of that nature. And it, it can sometimes be pegged as, oh, well, you know, you're just a white guy who wants clout in the Me Too movement or things of that nature. But in, in reality, I have to explain, well, here's my full story. And so I think just being more sympathetic to people who aren't you know, standard white finance bros has been really helpful in helping me determine, you know, who I want to work with, the people that I seek out to, to have conversations with and learn from. So I'd say that's the biggest impact it's had on me. When was the first time you recognized that you were an other in the room? I played football in high school, and I remember one time being huddled around a, a group of my teammates, white teammates, 
you know, I grew up in the South, so I, I think everyone's probably fairly aware of the South's reputation with respect to, to racism and, and treatment of minorities and whatnot. Not to say that everyone down here is that way, but it, it has a bit of a reputation. I was in a group of mostly white individuals, and there was just a lot of slandering going on about all types of minorities. And it was at that point where I realized they have no idea who I am. They think that I'm, I'm going to laugh. And so I think I was probably 16 or 17, but then that was you know the first time that I actually started to realize that I am different or I do look differently than what I actually am. And it's it's something that I'm going to have to you know be aware of or, or self-conscious of, not self-conscious, but self-aware of moving forward. Now that I know your background, I'm just curious, Jared, do you think that code switching is a necessity for most professionals to survive in corporate America? I think it's really based on, you know, where you are in your profession. But I do think it's based on your level of seniority, your level of sway. For example, I, outside of the workplace, love hip hop, love, you know, playing basketball. I love a lot of that, you know, the culture and the things that surround that. And oftentimes, you know, it can be seen as negative to talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to an ASAP Rocky concert or something like that. And so you kind of don't talk about that in the workplace. But then again, you know, if I were the CEO or CTO of a company or the partner of a venture capital firm, I, w- I would have no issue talking about that because I hire everyone else, right? I'm, I'm allowed to talk about this. And so I think it's a necessity based on who you are in the workplace. And unfortunately, there are a, a ton of minority groups who, who tend to be not on the, the, the swag level, <laughs> the level of cachet that, that a lot of their Caucasian counterparts meet, might be. And so I think that it's probably more of a necessity for you know, minorities, women, people of color, et cetera, than it is for other people who, who are in other executive positions. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think it is something that you definitely have to use to survive, especially in corporate America. But I do think once you get to a certain place, you are afforded the opportunity to be more authentically yourself. But that's for some people. I know C-suite people who still to this day operate very differently in work than they do outside of work. So I I just think it depends on how much you really know yourself and how much you're willing to really show up how you are. When did you find your voice in your career? So I'm in my early 30s now. I'd say probably in my late 20s. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. I experienced failure as an entrepreneur. I experienced some success as an entrepreneur. I was branching out on my own and, and, you know, pitching myself. I had gone through, you know, quite a bit in my career at that point in time. I was also in Los Angeles at the time. I, I think everyone knows that Los Angeles tends to be, you know, a bit more laid back than maybe a New York or a San Francisco. And so I think being in that environment was really helpful as well because the people who were interested in the things that I were interested in were wearing T-shirts to, to important meetings and, and were talking about, you know, ASAP's latest album. I had started off my career working in stuffier atmospheres and I always felt out of place. I just wasn't vibing with these people. I didn't agree with anything that was happening and then was fortunate enough to, to experience a different culture. So I'd say late 20s. I think I'm, I'm late 20s right now. I just turned 27. I don't know. I think for me, I have always had a voice and I've always questioned things, but not in a disrespectful way, just in a, well, explain how, how this works because it doesn't make sense in my mind. 
And I think for me, I worked under a boss who was very open to my questions and he understood where I was coming from. It was a lot different from my direct manager who was very buttoned up, very strict, didn't tolerate any kind of bullshit. But they were also in two different stages of their life. A CEO of a company, you know, is going to be in a different place than someone who is a managing director of the firm. And so for me, I was grateful that I was afforded the opportunity to ask any and all questions, to to challenge things that I felt needed to be challenged in a respectful way. Um, but when I was navigating outside of the trading floor and I was applying to J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, it was a completely different world than what I had experienced at a boutique firm. And ultimately, that's why I decided that I didn't really want to stay in the world of finance, especially not on that side of the business. But I do think once you get to a place where you really know yourself and you can have your own voice, I think it just makes work easier. Like you you feel comfortable, you you can ask all the questions. I don't know, like do you think once you were able to really find your voice and really be Jared, did it make life easier for you? Yeah, I mean, I have absolutely worked in situations where I dreaded the culture. I've, I've been in those situations. And for someone like me, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same way, but for someone like me who, who places a high degree of importance on you know, professional success and, and career goals and achievement, it really impacted my, my mental health outside of the office. I, I'd have a bad day. And, you know, even at some points, um, not ashamed to admit, sought therapy to, to try and rectify the differences between what I was going through in the workplace and what I was going through outside of it. And so I, I would say, yes, it, it absolutely makes living life easier. It absolutely makes everything about that um, you know, just, you know, at least for, for high, I would say, high achieving people or, or people with lofty goals. I think it, it absolutely helps. They say uh, in venture capital, there's this idea of founder market fit, meaning if you need a founder to be, you know, loud and and, and comfortable with the camera for, for a more consumer facing application or something of that, does, are they going to be comfortable with, with something like that? And so I think that along the same vein, there's absolutely this idea of employee manager fit. You could be great at one particular aspect of a job, but is there gonna be a culture fit? To make sure that who who is hiring you and who you're working for is, is in line with you know who you are and your values and but also not everyone has that luxury. I come to you as a you know a guy who looks like a standard white guy who who has a tremendous advantage in in getting jobs as certain people might. And so I, I think it's easier for me to come out and say like, ah, yeah, just find the, find the job that works for you. You know, you'll find something, whereas it might not be as easy for other people. So again, it's, it's just one of these very delicate balancing acts between trying to determine what you have the ability and, and desire to do and, and, and what you're afforded. And I, I'm, it is not lost on me that I am afforded much more than many of my colleagues. Mental health is is everything. And I often speak to people about you have just as much power as these companies. And, and I genuinely mean that. If you are interviewing for a job and the ethics and the culture isn't there, why even put yourself through the trouble of working for a company if it's going to cause you a headache? And there is, you know, a little bit of, okay, well, can I afford to not take this job? Again, everybody's circumstance is different. And so that definitely is a conversation that you'll have to have internally with yourself. But I I truly believe if it just doesn't align, 
that's not the company for you. I mean, there's just so many other opportunities out there and and you have to, one, be at a starting place and believe that there are a lot of opportunities out there. But two, also realizing for me, like I'm a true believer, everything happens for a reason, everything. I mean, I've been turned down for a lot of jobs. I've pitched a lot of companies and it can be really frustrating. And then there have been opportunities that have come my way that would have paid a lot of money. <laughs> but I I don't believe all money is good money. And I have walked away from those deals as well based off of the person, based off of the culture. And some people will look at me like I'm crazy. Like, what? You, you could have, you know. But I, I just think mental health, it's a North Star. And if you can mentally be in a good place, I think that is a good foundation for anything that you do in your career. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with this, but, you know, penny wise, dollar stupid, right? It's it's smart in the near term, but detrimental in the long term. The decisions that I made early on in my career to clout chase, as they say, probably were, were penny smart or penny wise, but dollar stupid in terms of, you know, mental health and overall impact on my well-being. Jared, what would you say your leadership style is? I tend to ingest as much information as I can from from the people that I'm working with and around and then you know like to make an informed decision based on that I truly believe that giving someone a voice is the most important thing you can do for someone who works with you for you above you etc as someone who has been you know alienated I, I went to a state school I didn't graduate from Stanford or Harvard or anything like that as someone who's been shushed in meetings, when complex topics were coming up, I, I know how much of a toll that has had on me personally. And I, to this day, as I'm talking about this, this is bad radio, you can see my face getting red because I get so upset thinking about, like, I cannot believe you shushed me. And, for, you know, just things of that nature. And so I, I think that giving someone a voice. And so even if, even if you think, you know, it, it's a bad idea or even if you think it's a project that might not be the best, let them discuss it, listen to what they're going to say, Take that information, show them that you've heard them, show them that you've listened, and then make an informed decision after that. So I definitely take a more collaborative approach to any of the projects that I'm working on. I almost like to to shift the position of power to them, in a sense, because I think that that can, can do a lot for that coworker relationship. I love that. And I think that that is one of the most effective leadership styles you have. I mean, there are definitely other ones such as democratic and strategic, but I think coach style, everyone is a team player and you really want to listen to the people that you work with and give them a platform and a voice. Well, thank you so much, Jared. I really, truly enjoyed the conversation today. I hope you did as well. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Really grateful to be here. I have one more thing I want to share with you that I think is vital to your personal and business development. The concept is senior leader energy. I'm coining that term right now with you guys. Consider it trademarked. Now, let me explain it. Have you ever wondered why some people are perceived as leaders and others not even close? It has nothing to do with age, work experience, or background. Some people just hit different. They have more presence, and as a result, they're more easily trusted. They're often the type of people we call tastemakers or disruptors. That's senior leader energy, SLE. 
People with SLE almost naturally convince people to treat them with respect or force themselves to be seen. And if they are people of color or people who often are overlooked, that can be a game changer. You might see someone with SLE and think it's a gift they have, something you don't have, something you can't have, but you can. It's in you. Senior leader energy can be learned if you stick with it. It has nothing to do with your age. And here are three quick ways to develop it. One, know yourself. You've got to know your values and you've got to have self-awareness. And this is a muscle to develop over time, not a switch to flip. There are things I talk about all the time, journaling, meditation, setting intentions. These are the ways to get solid on your values and to develop self-awareness. And that's the first key to developing SLE, knowing what you are and carrying that knowledge with you into the workplace. Number two, listen. Leaders, listen. It's not enough to just know who you are and roll through work like a boss. Having SLE means you're open and willing to listen to others. You're not just leading yourself, you're leading others to become their best selves. And finally, number three, understanding your leadership style and your weaknesses. This is tied to your self-awareness, but it goes deeper. There are many leadership styles in this business. Do you know yours? Do you lean into it? On the other hand, do you understand where you or your leadership style might fall short? Do you empower other people to fill in those gaps? Having the confidence to know what you're good at and what you aren't is part of that senior leader energy. A part of SLE is making sure every day is bring your values to work day. Your values and authenticity is part of your SLE. Next, I want you to flip the switch. Use the different versions of yourself authentically to get what and where you want. If your work self is confident and assertive, use it to get that promotion. Use it to gain visibility. What I'm saying is use every tool in your toolbox to your advantage. But most importantly, make sure you're authentic. You are enough. We don't often feel that way, especially in the world of finance, but I'm here to tell you that you are enough. If you're confident and you embrace your whole self, that's truly what giving senior leader energy is all about. Join me, Lauren Simmons, on our next episode of Mind Body Wealth dropping next week. Be sure to follow Mind Body Wealth only on Spotify. Until next time. Mind Body Wealth with Lauren Simmons is a Spotify original production from Best Case Studios. It's executive produced by Lauren Simmons and produced by Ayana Angel. From Spotify, executive producers are Gina Delvac and Jifa Yador. Producer is Tierra Darnell. Executive producer for Best Case is Adam Pincus. Our associate producers, Ali Gallo, Aaron Allen, and Stephanie Geary are the editorial directors. Our editor is Dean White with the help of Abby Austria. Thanks to Marmoset and Five Alarm for this music. And special thanks to Kevin Pham, Lauren Chin, Colin Frederick, Hannah Lebowitz Lockhart at Best Case, Evan Tarantino, Free Bird, Amanda Long, Jordan Tochinski at Spotify for production support, and Ashley Acevedo and Arabella Roberts at Artists First.